0: Some of you may have already noticed that my wife was raptured. Uh, She is um, Canadian, but her parents immigrated to Canada almost 70 years ago, and so she didn't grow up with her kin people. And a lady in uh, the Beachy community north of us passed away yesterday morning, and it's Grace's cousin. And she felt this was an opportunity for her to go home and meet her kin people that she seldom sees and so yesterday i mean uh, this morning early my son and chad brubaker came flew up to weir's cave and picked her up so i'll go home by myself again all right i gave the children a break yesterday evening and i gave the young people something to remember i hope they do but do you all remember any of you younger children or older children the little proverb that i gave you friday night you know what you want to say it i'll hop up and say it very good i mean i ought to give you a star I don't have any star. That's good. A lie is still a lie, even if everyone believes it. And the truth is still the truth, even if no one believes it. It's a little difficult for the guest speaker to know what to talk about when he goes away. And so I that's one of the things that I probably pray more about that God would help me to touch the buttons that you need because I don't know what Jonathan and all these, and Mr. John and all them been preaching. Maybe they just talked about that last Sunday and it's just kind of a little scary. And so that's one thing that I spend a lot of time praying. That God would give me the messages he wants you to hear. And so I trust that I haven't been too repetitive. In the life of brotherhood, there seems to always be a grind. Maintenance, housekeeping chores, or things just go down. They'll go down if you're not on top of it. It takes a lot of love to be part of a disciplined church. It takes a lot of love to run a Christian school. And it goes on and on from there. You all have probably heard about the fellow that was trying to sail across the ocean in his yacht and he made shipwreck in a deserted island in the South Pacific. And his boat washed up on shore, and there he was. And so he took parts of his boat and made a little building, a little shelter. And that was his chapel. And it was a long time before anybody came by because he didn't have any distress signals. One day a ship came by, and they put down a lifeboat and came over to the island because they saw a little smoke and a little building there. And sure enough, they found a man. And unkept and raggedy clothes. But he was more than welcome to get in the lifeboat and go back with them to to go where he came from. And they said, "Um, what's the little building here on the seashore up by the palm trees oh that's where i go to church well what's that little building on down the beach up down there that's where i used to go to church well it's kind of funny but it's not because that is so descriptive of church life for many people it's continual church hunt and on and on and yeah, I used to go there, and I went there, and I used to go there, but I don't want that for you. For Your endeavors here, most of you came from some comfortable church in another place, and it wasn't because you couldn't get along. It wasn't because you couldn't do brotherhood. It was because of the desire within your heart to plant the seed in another community. Brother John, you have a nice pulpit here. It has sideboards, and I can put my stuff. A lot of places I go, there's a narrow little pulpit and sloped, and you have to get a table. But anyway, okay. It works for me. And so, this morning what I have entitled to share with you is, I am the bread of life from there. And those words come from John chapter 6 verse 25 to 40 and Jesus is telling his disciples, I am the bread of life and, and you know how that plays out. And so I want to make some parallels this morning with church life with the bread of life. In my childhood, some of y'all knew where I grew up west of here. And we had one mile to walk from the paved road back to our house up a dirt road. And the weather was good. We rode bicycles. And the school bus would drop us off in the evening and pick us up there in the morning, a mile away from our house. But one evening each week, when we got home, our mother was taking the bread out of the oven. And the smell itself was almost intoxicating. Fresh bread slathered with butter and drizzled with honey. That memory will be forever etched in my mind. It's a very good memory of my mother. And the scriptures are full of examples of bread and that the important part that it plays in our life, the basic sustenance in every culture, their form of bread. It's probably the first food that a nursing child eats. You know, they give them a piece of crust or something to chew on to their gums. Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, where God told Adam that because of his sin and rebellion and disobedience, his descendants would have to work hard and break a sweat in order to have enough bread to eat. Well, it wasn't just bread. Bread can be a generic term for food. In Genesis chapter 18, we have the account where Abraham entertained guests and he told his chef to get some flour and make some bread or cakes for his mysterious guests. And then in Genesis chapter 43, we have the story of Joseph in Egypt and his brothers coming all the way down to Canaan. They didn't come to get new chariots or faster chariots and horses. They came to get bread, the ingredients for making bread for their growing families at home. In Exodus 12, verse 31, during the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go worship the Lord as you requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said, and go and also bless me. And the Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise they said, We will all die. So the people took their dough and before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. And the Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver, gold, and clothing. And so I'm not sure what all this story implies. Maybe they did like a lot of cultures still do. They made a little bread each day. And it's there's no way of preserving their bread and make it fresh any morning. I've been in Central America many times, and those ladies will soak their corn at night, and in the morning they grind it and make their tortillas fresh every morning. When I was a child, there was a lady that lived in the Peak community that my her name was Bess Shoemaker. Does anybody remember Bess Shoemaker? best shoemaker you remember? and I went to school with her grandchildren and dad would go visit up there on occasion and make sure everybody was okay she was a widow lady and she not only raised her children and grandchildren but she seemed to raise all the neighbors children too you don't remember her Janet yeah One time when my dad was there, he saw that she was preparing to bake bread and said something about having fresh bread for supper. He said, oh, no, no, no. She says, I make it a week ahead and let it get a little stale so they don't eat so much of it. In Exodus chapter 16, we have the story of God meeting the needs of his people in the wilderness by providing them manna. And then the Lord said to Moses, "I will rain down bread from heaven for you. And the people are to go out each day and gather enough for the day in this way. I will test them and see whether they follow my instructions. And the people of Israel called it manna, and it was like white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. And so I'm guessing that's the recipe that Krispy Kreme uses for their doughnuts. I'm not sure, but I'm still partial to homemade. And now later in the book of Job, Job chapter 23, but he knows the way that I take when he tested me and I will come forth as gold and my feet have closely followed his steps. I have kept his way without turning aside. I have not departed from the commands of his lips, and I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. And so as necessary and as important as food is to us, Job is responding to his accusers during that very grievous period of his life. And he's able to look back on his life. And you all studied those lessons the last quarter. He's able to look back with integrity and say, I have treasured the words of thy mouth, God, as much as I've desired my daily bread. I can't always say that about myself. I will have to admit. I like bread. And sometimes my desire for spiritual food is not as strong as my fleshly desire for bread and so job has set this bar up pretty high a couple weeks ago i was at the doctor's office and she checks my blood twice a year just to make sure i'm okay and she wasn't real happy she said i was pretty good in most areas we said I'm almost pre diabetic and my blood sugar's too high to stay away from the bread. And I didn't think that sounded very biblical. I want to just, in a little sideline here, talk a bit about bread and the grains and the flours that are used for baking. Wheat's origins are in the Eastern Mediterranean Sea, Israel, Jordan. Iraq, Syria, and Turkey, that area off the east end of the Mediterranean Sea. But now through the wonders of science and genetics, wheat is growing all over the world. Only corn is growing more than wheat. This past year, the world produced 765 million tons of wheat. And world wheat production has tripled since 1960, not by planting more acres, but through genetic improvement. There's many other food staples around the world that are used for making bread in different cultures. There's corn, rice, potatoes, yams, beans, sorghum, and plantains. And now since the Russian invasion of the Ukraine, the Ukraine is a huge wheat growing area the price of wheat has spiked as high as $10 a bushel. It's unheard of before. And of course, wheat flour is probably the, what we are more familiar with here in North America. Many things made from it, you're aware, doughnuts to gravy, shredded wheat to Wheaties, porridge, pies, and cinnamon rolls. And the list could go on. I want to talk about some spiritual parallels between the bread that we consume and the spiritual bread that we need to feed our bodies. Psalm 51:17 The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, and a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And so I want to talk a little bit about brokenness and surrender, and it's often easy in a time of spiritual fervor, maybe you've been to Bible school and just got home, and uh, man, you, you're spiritually on top of things. You've had a good time, or maybe it's uh, a Bible conference, your revival meetings, and you feel really energized spiritually and feel pumped and passionate in our call to serve God. There's no reserves. And I remember. When I was in Bible school many years ago, uh, Daryl Brubaker and I went to Rosedale Bible School before it went over the wall. And one evening we was setting out with the students and they had a campfire and they were singing fun songs, uh, spiritual songs like young people do and should. And I remember some young fellows there leading the singing, and the ladies were toasting marshmallows and passing them around. And it was just a nice social time. But they sang this song, and probably all of you are familiar with it. Uh, I don't know that I had heard it before. Would You Be Poured Out Like Wine? Do you all know that song? Uh, Franken and Carol, you all want to come up and sing it for us? And it goes like this. Would you be poured out like wine upon the altar for me? Would you be broken like bread to feed the hungry? Would you be so one with me that you would do just as I will? Will you be light and life and love my words to fulfill? And you know, we can think, oh yeah, we're just so caught up in the moment. and We would respond to, full sacrifice and commitment to God, and we sing it with gusto. Maybe so much so that when we get to the second verse, we don't think about what we're singing. And it says, yes, I'll be poured out like wine upon the altar for you. I'll be broken like bread to feed the hungry. I'll be so one with you i would do just as you will yes i'll be light and life and love your word to fulfill it seems like a beautiful thing a pretty song until we actually are poured out like wine and broken like bread do you remember that grapes need to be crushed to be poured out like wine and bread is made from wheat and grain that has to be cracked and ground and broken to feed the hungry. And when we think about all that that little ditty song may sing, say, maybe we just don't want to sing that song anymore. You know, God often uses circumstances and people in our lives to bring us to the place of brokenness. Brokenness is a place where we recognize that all that I am and all that I do for myself is miserably insufficient compared to what God's standard is. You know, our standard of holiness is always much lower and has a lot more room for the gray than God's holy standard. Human nature would have us to think that, you know, God must be really fortunate to have somebody like me on his team. All of us are vulnerable to feelings of pride and self-righteousness, but humility is a must if we're going to be used by God, squeezed, crushed, broken and cracked. We come to him and we tend to want to be congratulated or rewarded or appeased or prospered because of our service to him. That is so selfish and human. Vance Havner says this, God uses broken things. It takes broken soil to produce a crop, broken clouds to give rain, and broken grain to give bread. God uses brokenness of sin to help us to see that there's nothing good in any part of us. Apart from His mercy and grace and forgiveness, there's no good in any of us. Sometimes we must cry out to God, like King David, and say, Lord, have mercy on me. Wash away my sin. For I know that my transgressions and sin are always before me. There are those now that say that brokenness for sin is not necessary. We live in the age of grace. And yes, we do. But because of God's grace through Jesus on the work on the cross, does not mean that we do not need to respond with holy living. Perhaps we've come to a place in our society where things have shifted so much that we have lost our ability to feel shame or remorse for ungodly living. It happened in the Old Testament, and I think we're there again today. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 3, Therefore the showers have been withheld, and those spring rains have fallen. Yet you have the brazen look of a prostitute and you refuse to blush with shame. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? Nah, they were not ashamed at all. Neither could they blush, therefore, and they shall fall among them that fall. At that time that I visit them, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. And You know how brazen our society is. It's embarrassing. To almost look at the news or hear about the new trends that in public of, uh, sexual orientation you name it it's embarrassing it's so ungodly God uses the brokenness of circumstances in our lives and most of us we really do want to be godly people but we want to be there without suffering the whole suffering part is repulsive to human nature and there are those people who like to abuse their bodies for a time to uh, gain a certain uh, result, uh, bodybuilders and those kind of guys. But often they attain that, the damage of their heart, or their body wasn't meant to have that kind of mass and muscle. But most of us want to be godly without the suffering part. But sometimes only through suffering can we attain the character of Christ. And it's difficult and unpleasant things that through no virtue of our own that come into our lives to shape us and mold us into the likeness of Christ. Christ experienced that when he walked on the earth. Hebrews 5, 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through suffering. And so we don't sign up for the suffering part, do we? It comes. We've taken it. We've endured it. But we're really slow to want to be broken and cracked for the good of the whole. Sometimes God uses brokenness for intercession in as we relate to others. And I can think of the times that people, concerned people, corrected and encouraged me to be all that God wanted me to be so that the wine and the bread would taste better. I didn't appreciate it at the time. But looking back, those people meant it for my good. We've all had those experiences where we were maybe chastised or encouraged on by someone to, to tighten up every chance we get. We need those things. It is important in our prayers to learn to see others and difficult situations as God sees them. It's where we learn to see the, through the eyes of a loving and compassionate Savior instead of a selfish human being. We can, should become broken so that we can feel the heartache of our Father for those who He created that struggle. They struggle for love. They struggle for happiness. And they struggle for someone's acceptance. And when we minister to and serve others in our own strength, the wine will always be bitter and the bread will lack nutrition. Remember that. When we try to appease ourselves and do good things in our own strength to make us look good, it's always at someone else's expense. And the wine is bitter and the bread lacks nutrition. I have a jar of wheat here, and uh, we're aware that bread, pastries, yes. pie crust, a lot of things comes from wheat. How many of you all like to eat your wheat in this form? Not one hand. How many of you have tried it? And it kind of gets up in your gums and down in your tongue and uh, your lips. I worked for a custom harvester, and we often would see our crew boss go into a wheat field in Montana, Kansas, wherever, and he did like Jesus. He rolled some heads and blowed the chaff out, and then he'd bite on it. And if it crunched really hard and about broke his teeth, he knew it was dry enough for us to cut. He did have a proper moisture tester, but he, was so experienced, he could just tell by biting into the kernels. But we we shy away from eating our wheat that way. Um, How many of you like your wheat? You know, you're really healthy this way. Carol, you like to eat your wheat this way? How many of you have tried? It's really healthy probably. A lot of fiber, lots of fiber and prickly things that stick in your throat like fish bones. But most of us prefer the flour after it's been cracked and ground and crushed and pulverized. I know there's a trend towards healthy breads. Some of them look like a lot like bird seed. But they don't stick together very good. They're not nearly so pliable, so soft, with a fine light texture. I'm not a huge fan of bread. It's got a lot of hard things in it. Things that you bite into and things that haven't been cracked and broken and sifted for the good of the whole. you have one of these, Janet? I bet your mother does. Uh, Mrs. Yoder, do you use one of these? You're a baker. Well, then, what in the world are they for? How many of y'all would like to go through this thing? I remember coming home from school and, and my mother... No, 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 this was Saturday. My mother would bake on Saturday. And she would put out a piece of wax paper and she'd get the flour that was already beat to a pulp and run it through that sifter. And I asked her, so why in the world are you doing that? So that my cakes would be lighter and fluffy and there wouldn't be any hard things in there. Just the same as individualism will ruin the cake of brotherhood. Romans 12:10, be ye kindly, affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. Now when my wife brings communion bread, she makes the bread, the communion bread and um, she don't bring that whole wheat whole earth, healthy stuff. Her stuff is wonderful. It's light and soft. There's no signs of rebellion or unbrokenness in it. A lot of ladies ask her for her bread recipe. I'm I'm so honored. You see, if she brought bread that was full of hard things and uncrack things. That would be so representative brotherhood of people who are very individualistic and said, you know, I am so done with getting along with you. I'm going to do it my way. Luke 22, 19. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and then gave it to them saying, this is my body, do this in remembrance of me, and I don't have a loaf of bread here to show you, but you know the process. We start here, and there's quite a process to get rid of most of the trash or most of the unedible part to get to the kernels of wheat, to get them clean, and then finally broken, and then sifted some more for the good of the whole to take out them individual lumps, hard things, for the good of the whole. I don't know your stories, and so I'm gonna have to tell you mine. I'm gonna tell you some painful personal illustrations. And so follow me. The first one is Grace, my wife Grace, the veiling, and Bishop Brubaker. We moved to our present home in South Carolina in 1984. And as you have heard, my wife grew up in Northwestern Ontario. The culture there was flowing veilings. It had always been that way. And um, it is not the custom here or it wasn't the custom in our churches in South Carolina. To my wife, only liberal, non-submissive ladies went up north and didn't wear veilings, but insisted on wearing their traditional fitted coverings. Her preference was just as strong for her faith and practice as others were opposed and preferred the fitted style. We had only planned to live there a year, temporarily, and then move back to Canada. And then when it became apparent that we weren't going back or staying there, we applied to transfer our membership, and I went to see my uncle, Bishop Brubaker. I made my case for grace to continue wearing a flowing veil. Uncle Howard was patient. He was kind and caring, but in the end, he said, No. So I went home and told her what I knew I had to but didn't want to tell her. Were there tears? Of course there was. Did she suddenly fall in line and in love with a different application? No. So what did she do? She got up with Pastor Miller's wife and they got some different coverings. That's what the Brotherhood asked. And that is what she did. What will you do for the Brotherhood and the well-being and concern of the whole loaf? The ordination and the complaint. Not long after we moved back to South Carolina, there was an ordination planned at our church there in Barnwell, where we went back then, and Brother and Sister Alan Schrock and Grace and I shared the lot. It really wasn't on the list of things that I wanted to do. Uh, I had a battle. And it was a severe battle with in my heart to submit to that, Um, but after a a night of pitching and tossing in the morning, when the church leaders came, we said, yes, yes, Lord. A day or two before the ordination, Bishop Brubaker came by the house and said that uh, he needed to talk to us. There was a complaint came in about us, and uh, he asked us about it. And I says, oh, that's no problem at all. We'd just be happy to drop out and let Brother Al and Sister Lucinda have the job. I'll never forget what Uncle Howard said. What you're being accused of is not wrong. It's not wrong in itself. But can I go back and tell that brother that for his sake you won't do it anymore? and we said yes to something that we felt was petty and trite but that is brotherhood being ground and sifted for the good of the whole loaf i want to tell you this morning that it is so first grade to ride the fence and see how close you can get by and thrum your nose at brotherhood agreements there's a place to make change You have conference. We have conference. Other people have membership meetings. But that doesn't necessarily make it wrong to be different if you're trying to maintain a biblical standard. But you have brotherhood agreements. You need to take care and keep those. And then you have the spoiler. Spoiler. If you're in church administration very long, you will most certainly meet these folks. They like to threaten the leadership with, well, if you don't do so-and-so, buy so-and-so with Brother Jones, then we won't take communion or other manipulative threats. That, my friend, is less than first grade. God has a plan for your life, and it'll be different from my life. Be careful what you ask God for when you look covetously at some other's life and think God sure has a cushy life for them, and mine is full of struggle. An evangelist was having revival meetings in our church community the first spring after Gideon was killed. One day he came over and talked to me after church. Perhaps the whole process had taken its toll on me. I know it had there wasn't a lot of wind in my sails many days but he said this to me I have listened to what people here are saying about you since Gideon's death and they're saying that you're a better man for it and I felt like crying out to God from my broken heart but couldn't I have been a better man some other way But that decision is up to God. And I must trust Him and His judgment for the path that He leads our family. I want to read a poem by Fanny Crosby for what His love denies. God does not give me all I ask, nor answer as I pray, but oh, my cup is brimming o'er with blessings day by day. How oft the joy I thought withheld delights my longing eyes. And so I thank him from my heart for what his love denies. Sometimes I miss a treasured length, my friendship's hallowed chain, and yet his smile is my reward for every throbbing pain. I look beyond where pure joys delights my longing eyes. And so I thank him from my heart for what? His love denies. How tenderly he leadeth me when earthly hopes are dim and when I falter by the way he bids me lean on him. He lifts my soul above the clouds where fellowship never dies and so I thank him from my heart for what his love denies. Jesus is that bread of life. Jesus was cracked and broken for you and I. You and I know this morning the verse from John 6, 47, I tell you the truth that he who believes in me has everlasting life. There is no other way you can have a sorry attitude towards your brother or sister or be a real bear to go to church with. It is doubtful that you will enjoy everlasting life. I am the living bread, and I have come down from heaven, and anyone who eats thereof will live forever. I want to read a story written by Robert J. Baker from northern Indiana. The most impressive act I've ever witnessed—let me start over. <clears throat> the most impressive act I ever witnessed in fellowship of the believers occurred at Prairie Street Mennonite Church when I was a teenage boy. That was over thirty-five years ago, and yet the experience is as fresh in my mind as if it happened this moment in this very room. It involved two people, one now deceased and the other living today far away from this city of Elkhart, Indiana, where the original memorial event took place. In another sense, however, it involved us all in that church that day. It was hidden from none. It was open for all. What I saw there outlived any sermon that I ever heard. Now I was sitting near the rear of the church when this tall man came down the aisle and he stopped several benches ahead of me and signaled to a particular man and leaned over and whispered a few words. I was close, but I could not hear the words, yet I knew what he said. The expression on his face was one of tenderness and love. I thought he was about to cry. Later he did cry. Knowing what took place in that church during that particular service, I did not have to hear the actual words he spoke. I could read his slightly moving lips, and I knew why he was there, and my boyish heart was strangely stirred. Now, when I was a boy kind brethren in the church who knew of the poverty of our family arranged for me to work on Saturdays and after school at a local store that employed my only Mennonites at the time. And I had not been at that place of employment very long when I realized that these two brethren didn't get along. They had periodic misunderstandings. Voices would be raised, and anger was present. And as a new Christian, I could not understand these differences, the harsh words. I was puzzled and disturbed and hurt. That Sunday, at Prairie Street Mennonite Church, some four pews ahead of me, the two men faced one another. The words the tall man said to the older brother was, on the church bench the words that i could lip read were the whispered words may i wash your feet and i watched those two brethren walk to the front of the church and the tall one took a towel from the bench and gently motioned the other to be seated both of them were barefoot the tall one knelt down and girded himself with the towel and tenderly washed his brother's feet. And then they exchanged places, and the act was repeated. And then they arose, the towel was laid aside, they stood facing one another in front of that church. The clock stood still. Time was frozen for a microsecond, and it was like a beautiful painting. Their, face and glist, their faces glistened with tears. Then action once more. Gentle, gentle action. They pressed their lips to one another's cheeks. Then it was over. Yet it was never over. By that brief act of washing one another's feet, they dissolved all the puzzlement, disturbance, and hurt that swirled, swirled within a young boy's heart. I don't know your situation here. I'm assuming you're a new congregation and all is love and peace and joy and the soul of man never dies. But uh, there's a room full of humans here and we're all selfish. And it's something you're going to have to work on if you don't want to have uh, that's where i go to church and that's where i used to go to church i showed you my cup last night that i picked up at the henry ford museum well there's another little story to that When we went to go to the museum, we had a little time before we were to be at my brother-in-law's house. and We figured that it must open at 8 in the morning. When we got there, it, people were walking around, milling around, and I looked and it didn't open till 9. But a lot of elderly people went in there and walked those vast halls for exercise instead of being out in the cold. And as we were standing there looking at when the ticket booths would open and the things that were there, this little old man came up to us and he said, hey, did you all come to go through the museum? Uh, yes, sir, we did. Well, I tell you what, it, it don't open for an hour, but uh, if you meet me right here in an hour, I will get you in. You see, I used to work here. And I knew Henry Ford, and I have a lifetime pass to this place, and every day I come and I invite somebody in, and he was happy as Larry. I mean, he was smiling, and, and I didn't know this little guy, a strange man. And so Grace and I started walking the halls and looking and seeing what could be seen and at five minutes till nine, we came back to the ticket booths and they were open and people were there shelling out their 35 40 or $50 for tickets. I don't remember. And here he come around the corner and he, he was beaming. He says, follow me. And so we fell in line and followed him and we went down the long hall and turned and we came up by this um Iron bars, kind of like a prison, you know, where you couldn't go any farther. And there was a big oak roll-top desk there. And this lady sitting there, sugar wouldn't melt in her mouth. She was a sour look. She was the gatekeeper. And We come up to there, and we did not have tickets. We had no reason to be there. I didn't know Henry Ford. I never worked for Henry Ford, but he motions to stop there. And he stopped at that lady and says, open the gate and let them in there with me. And so she opened the gate and stamped our hands with some purple ink and let us in. All of us want to go to heaven, but there are conditions. It's not going to be Henry Ford. But do you know Jesus? Are you living for Jesus? You may have used to have known Jesus, but you've grown cold and you've let anger and ill feelings and brotherhood eat you up. But I'm thankful this morning that when I get to the pearly gates that Jesus is going to be standing there and they say, open the gate, let him in. He's with me. I hope that's your expression this morning. If you've got a burr under your saddle or a problem in your heart this morning, and you need to let it go so that Jesus can say, he or she's with me, let him in. You can stand at your feet this morning. Shall we sing a verse of just as I am?